What's going on, everybody? We are back with another episode of The Jungle. And, you know, like I have told you guys, uh, this recent uh, season that we're in, season three, I wanted to get more females on here. Females are a lot of times hesitant to come on guarded, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But I have met quite a few really amazing females who have been willing to come on and share their stories. And today I have... Lisa Parson, she's currently a counselor at Skypoint Recovery in Akron. She's a clinical supervisor and program administrator at Pinnacle Recovery. Without further ado, guys, this is Lisa. Lisa, say hi to everybody. Hey, everybody. <laughs> All right, Lisa. So you've kind of had, I mean, just from what you and I have talked about, you kind of had a wild ride getting into everything. Um, you're also in recovery. You sponsor some females. Uh, you currently work with mostly men. Um, but you have, you found your calling more in counseling than being like a program supervisor or program admin, so on and so forth. So just briefly, why don't you tell everybody, you know, what, what was growing up like for you? What was your childhood like? What was early addiction like? Maybe if there's any trauma you want to touch on, tell us who Lisa is. You know, that's the crazy thing is I'm one of those people who didn't have any type of trauma. I had a great childhood growing up. Um, my parents are still married today. You know, they've been married for 56 years. No addiction in my background. Uh, I was a people pleaser, you know, uh, no trauma. My trauma came afterward, you know, as a result of my use. But uh, <clears throat> I had a, I mean, it was, I had every, all my basic needs were met. I had everything I wanted. All the kids in the neighborhood were always at my house. But I was always one of those people who just, Whatever they said, don't do that. I had to do it just to see what it was like. Yeah, that's it's funny that um, a lot of the people that I've had on here, they uh, most of them have come from pretty decent childhoods, but it's that rebellious instinct inside of them that they're they want to see what everything they, yeah, they they're, say, in the, they're in those they're in those dare meetings and they're like, well, that kind of looks fun. I don't know what they're talking all this doom and gloom for. Yeah, <laughs> so, they say don't go past this telephone pole oh i went past it just to see what yeah. it was all about so but, i mean that's there was i just wanted to have, i wanted to fit in everywhere i went i just didn't feel like i belonged i don't know why but i would hang out with the jocks with burnouts with the smart kids just to and i would take on their persona you know whatever they were doing that's what i would do just to fit in that's I. I mean, I was the same way, and I, you know, I came from a really good home. I, I linked up with. I was always friendly with everybody. I was friends with everybody. I just wanted to fit in. And if you were doing drugs, I was doing drugs. If we were robbing a liquor store, I, I guess I was robbing the liquor store with you to fit in. Uh, so what kind of? So let's talk about what led you into. I mean, you came from a good childhood. What led you into? Was it just the trying to fit in, and where did all that start? The bright lights, the, you know, all the excitement of it all. Uh, it just started out with some weed, you know, and some drinking beer in the woods, you know. And then when we got our licenses, because it wasn't like it is today, you could, you yeah. know, ride around all night long listening to the radio drinking. It wasn't all, D, you know, OVI crazy like it is today. You know, the cops would just say, you know, you idiots, get home. Um, it didn't really hit the harder stuff until later in life. But, uh, yeah, just uh, overindulging. 
go over and so there's always you've always had the want for sorry i'm trying to get my volume up on you a little bit here i'm having a hard time hearing you um so there's just always been the the overindulging so who so tell me about when things started to turn south then like what when did when did the driving on the back roads with a case of beer and just smoking some weed start to get start to change to where it was no longer fun i mean I was, was there criminal 18, charges you know, uh when I was about 18, when I moved out of my parents' house, that's when, you know, cocaine became the thing and dropping acid. And uh, it was like, it, it became, it got to be not so much fun anymore because I was selling it. You know, I couldn't just do it. I always had to go further. So if I was doing it, I had to sell it. I had to be that person people sought out. I mean, if it wasn't just to have fun, it was because I had drug I, I continued with those people pleasing behaviors way into my 30s and 40s yeah so how, how old were you so you started obviously <laughs> trafficking in cocaine trafficking in drugs you you and i had talked a little briefly i mean you got linked up with a pretty notorious motorcycle club uh was there i mean was there trouble like early on growing up? I mean, I know you said you were getting pulled over and thing. People, the cops would kind of let you guys go, but there was no nothing. I mean, that was the nothing. thing. It was really nothing, you know. With when that part of my life came about, I was uh, thirty, I believe thirty years old when I met the man who would become my husband, who was in the notorious uh, motorcycle club. Um, and that's when I was introduced to methamphetamine okay. and all the other drugs went away. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. took center stage. That was it. Hey, hey guys, I, I want to just say, you know, we uh, here on the show, we respect everybody. I've got a couple buddies that are in MCs. And as I, Lisa and I talked, we're not going to give notoriety. Obviously that's not the, but we're not going to get on here and talk about what the clubs were. I just want anybody that might check into this, understand we respect all clubs' privacies and so on and so forth. But, um, so what was life like once you started doing the math? I mean, that was so. At this point, I think you, what you've communicated is you were basically doing it for fun and mm -hmm. taking it to another level. So there was obviously an element of addiction there, but at what? So then you get into meth, and that's where the real addiction. I'm assuming kicks in and what, yeah, what that's kind of when it really took off, you know, and it wasn't just an addiction. It wasn't just an addiction to the drug. It was an addiction to making the drug. It was addiction to the lifestyle associated with the drug. It consumed my entire life, every yeah. aspect of my life. It took over. There wasn't anything I did in my life that didn't include that drug. Yeah. Well, and as, as drug addicts, I mean, that's, that's every drug addict. That's every, it's it's the lifestyle you become accustomed to. It's the people you're hanging around with. It's the daily grind of just trying to get what you need and trying to, you know, and you, you get so engulfed in that. And it takes some serious struggling as far as your mentality goes, changing your mindset, your perception to get out of things like that. Um, so tell, I, just talk about a little bit about your time maybe with the club making methamphetamines doing methamphetamines i mean was it you know it the, was the crazy thing is you know everybody hears that and they think about the sons of anarchy you know i lived this glamorous yeah. 
life, it wasn't nothing like that. You know, I was yeah. the one doing wrong. You know, my husband wasn't, you know, he was home. Of course, he did it with me, but I was the one out doing the bad shit. You know, um, it wasn't a life like everybody thinks it was. Sure, you know, when we, I was welcome every place we went. You know, we'd go anywhere in the United States. The red carpets rolled out. We did all this stuff because of who he was. It had nothing to do with who I was. I just so happened to be his wife. Um, and I was kind of protected so I could be a dumbass, you know. And nobody would mess with me. Uh, but at the same time, that brought more heat on me. Because, you know, there was always feds or somebody following us. And I don't know why at some point I just thought I was invincible, that I was untouchable. You know, um, and it was just, in my mind, it, I just, it was fun. I was having a great time. I was living large. I was a rock star. You know, I was a celebrity doing all this stuff. And when it became not fun is when the government really got involved with the chemicals used in the manufacture of this drug. So before I would have boosters, you know, the guys out stealing, bringing me bags fulls of Sudafed and generic Sudafed. I mean, bags, trash bags full. So I was making an enormous amount of methamphetamine. It was, there was an endless supply. Well, when the government got involved, when they're realizing, hey, we got to do something about this. We can't have it on the shelf. We need to put it behind the shelf. And now you got to show your ID. That's when everything took a turn for bad. You know, yeah. so all the people who are just having a good time and I was making sure everybody around me had a good time. If I was going out of town, you were going out of town. If I was buying new clothes, you were getting them. You know, so all this stuff came to an abrupt halt. And um, it became really hard. It was really hard to make a living doing this. Yeah. So the ounces and ounces and ounces of meth that I had flowing started becoming just a couple of grams, if it yeah. worked. And... Yeah. That's when it got super hard. So I had to learn how to perfect that and learn how to do, how to come up with new or creative ways. And I did. Uh, well, I mean, how long did this whole, uh, as far as your meth addiction and so on and so forth, how, how long did this whole kind of circus ride go on? 10 years. 10 years? 10 years. So. During those 10 years, I mean, was there any points where things just got, I mean, do you have maybe a story or point something just got, it, it was like a waking up moment or something? I mean, obviously riding, uh, the buddies of mine that are in clubs, obviously they, they, they are very low key. It's not what everybody thinks, nope. uh, but it's also, they are also a couple of the uh, wildest boys that I've ever met in my life my life um so there was obviously there had to be some pretty wild times in there um what uh wh when was the moment where you were like what i mean was it when the Sudafed was drying up was it when things were just starting to go look when everything hit me it hit me all at once you know my yeah. husband was 12 years older than me he was also uh he had heart issues he was diabetic um you know he shouldn't have been partying at all and when everything hit me it hit me 
all at once. I got busted. My husband died and everything changed with the government all at the same time. At the same time, my life crashed. Um, I mean, I hit when they say hitting a brick wall. I hit it going 200 miles an hour. And I didn't know what to do. I got busted twice in a matter of three weeks. Okay. So uh, during those, I mean, after those busts, was there prison time? Was there incarceration? Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk real briefly. Where were you in? I mean, because obviously the jungle, that's kind of the basis of, you know, uh, I've had a couple people, quite a few people on that haven't been there, but I mean, it's, it's overcoming adversity. Tell me, tell me about what prison was like. I mean, it was obviously, I'm assuming if you were running around with the people you were running around with, it wasn't your first like jail stint, but it was the first time you were going down the road. So where, where did you end up? What were your charges? What did you end up incarcerated for? What was the whole experience like? All right, so the last, the my last time? actual last time I ever got in trouble with anything less to rest <laughs> was i remember the date too it was august 18th of 2007 and i was arrested for um chemicals used in the manufacture of methamphetamine and possession and then october the 29th is when my husband dropped dead so i was going through all this stuff and i didn't actually end up i i was allowed to turn myself in because of all the stuff going on so uh, I turned myself in to go to prison it was april 4th of 2008 that's my sobriety date by the way and uh i originally i had gone to marysville i was in marysville for uh quite a while and you know i was supposed to have two years a definite sentence because under the new house bills that's what it was a definite sentence there was no more tales (laughs) and there was really no more judicial release so it was two year definite sentence and i got sentenced and it just so happened to be by a visiting judge who forgot to use the word mandatory in my sentence. So when I got to uh, Marysville, they kept saying, hey, you are eligible for this intense prison program, this AOD, alcohol and other drug program, like a, a rehab boot camp. I'm like, no, I'm not. No, I'm definite sentence. And they kept coming not. to me saying, no, you are eligible for this. And I'm like, all right, yeah, as you think I am, go ahead and, you know, run with it. And uh, I'll be damned if the paperwork didn't come back and I was approved to go to this rehab boot camp. And I was like, get out of here. So I ended up getting transferred from uh, Marysville, from the Ohio Reformatory for Women, ORW, to uh, Franklin pre-release in Columbus. And that's where they house the pregnant women and anybody in this alcohol and other drug, AOD, IPP, in, in intense prison program. That's where you went. And the the program was three months long. And I mean, this this was no joke. We're talking boot camp, three months. Yeah. And I was eligible to be released on December 10th or December 1st of 2008. And I'm like, man... The minute I get out, they are going to come and say, oh, we made a mistake. And they didn't. Even when I got out, my attorney was like, how the hell are you out? You know what? Nobody understood. But it was because they forgot to use that word mandatory. But while I was in there, I mean, when I tell you it was intense, it was intense. You were up every morning at 5 o'clock. Your room had to be meticulous. I mean, 
these guys running this place. It was no joke. If one person messed up, everybody took the hit. Yeah. Um, it was military style boot camp. And I, I don't know how I made it through it, but I did. Well, you, I mean, you coming out of, you working out of Akron right now as a counselor, I'm sure you've heard of Neocap. Oh, yeah. And Neocap, from what it sounds like, is a very similar program, at least when I went through it. And they, they, I don't know as far as the intensity Neocap level. Neocap ain't got nothing on that program. Nuh-uh. Okay. Well, I was there 10 years ago. Well, it was, it was eight years ago. And I have very much so heard that it's kind of, and I'm not going to talk negatively about it because I will say that level of program. Now I had to do my prison sentence and then come home and go into that program, which is kind of unheard of because it's, um, it's what they call a, uh, in lieu of like program, like you go there instead of going to prison. I unfortunately got to do my whole prison sentence and then go to Neocat for three months. But back then it was very similar where they gave you the classes. It, It was thinking for a change and it was all these groupings and classes and therapy and so on and so forth. And you were up every morning early and you had a job and you had to sit and study all day, but seven days a week and never stop. Yep. And I will tell you as pissed as I was that I had to go into that program. I think that program did more for me than prison and jail and so on and so forth because I, I had been to a couple rehabs and I I always fluffed it off because I always had that other run still in me. I would go into rehab to to shut everybody else up. Um, but once I went to prison, that's where I was like, you know, I'm done. I, I'm not doing this anymore. Then going into Neocap, it gave me kind of, I just, I wanted to do it. I wanted to be better. So I was actually taking in things that they were saying, you know? Um, so I, I think programs like that are good. I, unfortunately, let's talk real quick. So how long did you do in Marysville total? I think I was only in Marysville for about three months. Okay. So then there, there was no, so let, let me ask you real quick then, because you are, I believe you are the first person I've had in from Marysville. Um, what, what are your thoughts on, I always like to ask guys this that come on, what are your thoughts on what the issues are with the current prison system? I actually wrote a whole paper on this. Um, Did you? Yeah, I wrote a whole paper on this when I went when I got into college after I got out. Um, the one thing they call it is the Ohio Department for Rehabilita- Rehabilitation and Corrections. And the paper that I wrote was the Ohio Department of Rehabilitation and Corrections. Where the hell is the rehabilitation? Yeah. You know, what I see and what I see the problem is, is they're taking young people, especially these young men, um, who have never really been in trouble before, you know, ba- barely, I mean, 19, 18, 19 years old and th- for low level drug crimes and they're putting them in prison instead of putting them where they really need and that some rehab, they need some help. And they're just pumping out better criminals because they're once pumping you get out better it, criminals, yeah, they're, they're pumping out they're, they It teaches you how to be a better criminal. Yeah, than it because also, there is nothing in there. There's no rehabilitation. No, there's you know, not. And, and you've I, got to have some serious time, serious time to be able to get, get into, into any of the programs they have. Yeah. You know, you I, yeah, get in there I, and they might have something stupid that you'll never freaking use. Yeah. But the, the really I, good programs that can really teach you a trade, unless you got years, you ain't getting in them. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, it's and always a waiting it, it's list. Just and it's just really always... sad what I saw. You know, even the 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 twelve step meetings. You know, they were few and far between. Um, even the the treatment, like they had tapestry for women. You had to have a serious amount of long time to get in there. So what I see is they're just warehousing people to get that number, to get that money and to pump them out. And the problem is then you have that number attached to you, that stigma, you know, you're defined by yeah. that, but by the fact that you're, you're a convict. Yeah. And so therefore so I, you're not eligible for a whole lot of stuff. And the only difference between you and them is they got caught. Yep. And it's sad. I preach on it. Yeah, I, I preach on this all the time, and I go off about it in all my episodes. And that's part of the reason I started this. It was, it's kind of the preface for it is just to bring – just to kind of let everybody know that, you know, everybody thinks that going to prison means reform. Everybody thinks it means, uh, you know, they're, they're going away. And, yeah, it's a punishment, but there's, there's programs, and there's ways for these guys to get better. And there's not. It's unless you walk through those doors and you make a solid – cognizant change cognizant decision that i'm coming out swinging and i'm i'm doing better i'm gonna be better unless you do that while you're in there there's nothing there's you nothing do there that yourself you. because unless exactly. you sense do some years you're not gonna get that from there you're not exactly and you know it's it's interesting because america's the largest for-profit i think we are actually at this point one of the only uh countries that do for-profit prisons oh yeah and, the, the private prisons going on now people yeah, are banking I, off I would, of it. they're capitalizing off of of yeah of this and it's it's awful and that was cca of america they so they they ran most of the federal prison system they're a private company and they lake erie when i was sentenced they had just taken over lake erie and it was off the walls it was nuts there was extortion I mean, just think about it. if your drug. family wants to send anything to you they've banked off of that just to be able to call yeah. home. They banked off of that. So you know what? Yeah. The pe the people in prison aren't just the ones in prison anymore. Now it's your families. Because yeah. they got to work basically two jobs just to make sure you're okay. Because that $20 yeah. state pay ain't giving you shit. Because it's yeah. not like people think. They don't provide you with everything in there. They don't. Even no. if you go to the doctor, you got to pay for that in there. How are you going to do that? Your family has to help you. And they make yeah. it so expensive. So your family's doing that time with you. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. I, and you know, I, I always, I just posted about my mom yesterday cause she, she stood by me and I, or yesterday was her birthday and I, I made a funny little Facebook post for her birthday, but 10 years ago I was dragging her through the mud. 15 years ago, I was dragging her through the mud. Uh, and we have a great relationship today, but I look back at everything that I did even through prison. Um, and you're absolutely right. You're, and now I'm like, now her and I, there's been forgiveness. Like we've, we're on a great level at this point, but I still look back at those times and I'm like, dude, like my family, I dragged them through my prison sentence with me. So yeah, yeah they, you're absolutely they, they right. Do the time not, with you. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no forgiveness with the state, the state. And then there's, you get some of these correctional facilities where you, your family's having to get patted down. Your kids are coming in for visits and they're getting patted down. Like you're talking three, four, five-year-old kids. They don't understand what's going on nope. with the guards patting them down. Uh, it's scary. It's traumatizing. It's ridiculous on a lot of levels. I, uh, I did an episode with a guy, Michael Covington, great guy. He's a, uh, he's a, uh, DOT SAP uh out in california he's written a couple books he has a podcast but he 
has done a lot of work with the California prison system on they are starting to integrate the like the the same idea of prison systems that they have over in like Switzerland and uh, Amsterdam and things like that where it's like they're all it is is reform it's it's there's levels yeah, I've you know watched you're that. locked it's up a, and, it's amazing yeah you don't hear about the crime in those countries like you do here and that's you know? and that's yeah and that's what's wild is their recidivism rates have like plummeted because they're actually giving these guys skills they're not giving them a number on their back that they have to walk around with for the rest of their lives i you know i i'm i was a big gun guy before i got into all my trouble and so i just recently found out i could restore gun rights okay. so i'm working to do that i just found out and i i like to continuously broadcast this over this ep- over this show because a lot of people don't understand these things the state of Ohio also, I talked to a friend of mine, she's a paralegal. I believe right now, and I'm talking to an attorney about it, but you can expunge after COVID because of the shortage of people. You can now, where it was one felony, you can now expunge. It's either three or five. I have a consult with, with this attorney guy set yeah, up for, I've I think actually, it's a week ago. I was looking into that, but you know what? It gives me my street cred with what I do. I really don't care. Well, Wait, with what I do, it's not holding me back at all. It actually yeah. helps me out. <laughs> I'm a truck. I'm a truck driver, so I, you know, and, and not to keep name dropping guys. Sonny Von Cleveland. He was one of the. He's he's another guy from California. Great guy. Uh, has his own foundation. Uh, he came on in the first episode, or in the first three minutes, you know. He made a comment and it stuck with me. He said, you know, my, my bonus is actually, or my felony is actually a bonus to my resume. <laughs> and I've kind of like built a lot of like my confidence as far as having felonies off that because it, it is like, and you get a lot of guys that are like, no, it's, you have to carry that the rest of your life. But it also, it shows people you can overcome adversity. It shows people you fought through the hard times. It shows people that you can uh, overcome life when shit gets hard, you know? Uh, but I still, I'm a truck driver. It what it doesn't. It's not detrimental to my lifestyle either. Do I want to drive semi the rest of my life? No. But people need to understand they get these felonies, and as to where it was five, ten years ago, you couldn't get these things expunged. That's why I like bringing it up continuously on the show because people need to understand if it's been a absolute detriment to your lifestyle, you can. I'm like well, you. Look, I use. I like. I use my actual court <laughs> records. Um, I cited them and deemed myself an expert on methamphetamine when I was in college. I actually yeah. went to the dean. They were like challenging me, and I'm like, "Go ahead. Who? If I'm not, who is? If I'm yeah. not, hey, I'm a damn good. I was a damn good criminal. Check it out. You know. Um, and they yeah. allowed me to do that. Yeah. So I got all no, those I, I, those things hanging behind me on the wall. You know. You yeah. know. Um, using those prison uh. Are those uh, you, should court get, you should get one that says expert criminal. Oh, that's why I tell people when I when I go in for interviews, I'm like, you know, I got two master's degrees. I've got an AA degree and I got a PhD on the street. You know, yeah. um, that's what I got. No, and, and you know, I don't, uh, again, yes, it doesn't bug <laughs> me to have my felonies on my record. Obviously, I, I'm like you. I use it as street cred. I, I showcase it. I'm like, you know, I've made an amazing life for myself. Uh, and I've done it with these felonies not being expunged. I've done it with my, <laughs> I, I, my wife always jokes because I'm in the process of writing a book. And she was like, why are you writing a book? She's like, just print out your court docket. She was like, it's already like 40 pages long. And I'm yeah, like, I get oh, it. you know. <laughs> you know, with me, um, it's like, do I want to put all that money into it? Do I need to with what I do? 
it really doesn't make a difference if they're there or not. You know, um, for me, I think it's almost like I look at that and then it, where, where I'm at today and it shows me how far I've come. So I mean, yeah. it really well, doesn't matter. You know, if I was regardless. getting into another area in my life where I would need that, of course I would do it. Yeah. And I could. Well, and uh, I'll tell you, I mean, I was a, I was a production and safety manager when I came home from prison. I started off, worked my way up with this company. It was a very toxic environment. Didn't want to work there anymore. And I started going on interviews and every, I had five different jobs lined up and everyone, when I would go into accept a job, they would never ask me during, but when I would go and accept it, it was, they're sliding the background check sheet across. So my felonies only being five years. I'm like, you know, they all love me. They're like, we're, they, they all thought I would be a great asset to their company. But as soon as they caught wind of my felony, it's like, well, we're not yep, sure we want you it. here. And so in an instance like that, that's why I could make the same money driving a semi. So I went into driving semis. Well, you know, well, I was point, actually my... one of the first, I believe it was 10 people when they came out with that certification qualification for employment, that CQE that basically says, as per the state of Ohio, you've been successfully rehabilitated. I was one of the first 10 people to get that document. Oh, really? That's awesome. Mm -hmm. That's cool. I, uh, yeah, I know a few people that have gotten that. Um, but yeah, so I mean, in somebody like my instance, I, I kind of feel like maybe I do need to get them expunged. I mean, obviously I, I enjoy, I, I used to enjoy playing with guns. Uh, I was, my dad had tons of them. I grew up around them. I loved hunting. I loved doing all that. And so when I found out I could do it, I was like, well, I'm going to do it. I'm going to see if it works. So I just tell, uh, well, well, you know, I, the state of Ohio frowns upon me having weapons. I'm the same way. My my dad and brother and they all have guns and you know with the, yeah. the carry conceals and you know it's something I might look into. You know I because I can't. Oh, I'll stay tuned because I I on my YouTube page I'll send you a link to it. I'll probably post everything on uh, Facebook as well. I'm gonna document the whole process so people and then put it out there so people know and understand maybe who to get in contact, how to do it. So, but all right, that's a little off topic here. Let's get back to it. We uh. So the the prison system, so you, you, was there an, a moment in prison? I mean, at what point did you make up your mind to where this is it? I, I mean, you said, uh, what, August 8th, 2008 was when you, was your sober date? August, August 4th, 2008 was the August, day I okay. walked into the Summit County Jail to begin my prison sentence. Okay. And, uh. And I'll never forget that. As long as I live, my two best friends were taking me. I already had my whites on. You know, I went in, white t-shirt, white, anybody who's been to county, you already know what that means. White t-shirt, white bra, white panties, white socks, sweats, and I, I'm walking in and I. All right. I'm sorry, guys. We had some technical difficulties brought to you by Riverside FM. I will be contacting their support team momentarily. <laughs> so, uh, this current recording is brought to you by Zoom, who appears to work every time. All right, Lisa. So we, uh, so where were we at? I apologize. Um, about when it was. When was my time? You know, when did I? Yeah. Surrender, basically. I guess it was about a month into it. It was about a month into my uh, sentence that you know I was just like, man, I'm too old for this. I don't want to do this anymore. You know. Uh, this isn't this isn't the life I want to lead. Yeah. You know, and finally I wasn't people pleasing. I found my voice. 
I found out who I was because I, nobody was nobody walked into that prison with me. Nobody was doing that time with me. I was doing it. Yeah. Um, it was me. I was alone for the first time in my life. I was alone, and I had to be a big girl and do what I had to do and make my own decisions. Let and me I ask you, bro. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'll ask you. No, I think it was then and there that you know I realized that who I was and what I was capable of. Let, let me ask you, and if you don't want to talk about it, I completely respect it and understand. What was it like being sent to prison just a few months after your husband died? And what was that like being in there? And not only did you, how long were you guys married? Uh, we were together for 14 years. So being with somebody for 14 years, you lose him and then you lose all your freedom. What, what was that like? I mean, I, I can imagine uh, it what the, it was like. It put the entire grieving process on hold. Yeah. Um, I couldn't do that in there, you know, um, because I would have been a mess. You know, I I didn't know what it was going to be like. You know, I was fortunate. You know, a lot of people, when they go into prison, they lose everything. I didn't. You know, I still had a home to go home to. I still had vehicles. I still had stuff. Uh, but when I went home and I sat down in my living room, that's when it got real. I was yeah. like, holy shit, I am, I, I'm alone. And that's when the grieving process started. That's when I knew too. There's a few things that I figured out, but um, my whole life changed the second I walked back into my house. You know, I knew something was going on with me, but a, a few weeks before I was uh, uh, scheduled to go home from prison, I knew something was wrong. I didn't know what it was. And I got home and after two weeks of being home, I got really, really sick. I mean, sicker than I'd ever been in my entire life. And I went to the hospital and I'll never forget it. It was like COVID times, but it wasn't COVID times. And it was so busy that I was in the, the waiting. I was in the hallway and I had no problem telling them everything that I'd done, you know, that I was a meth cook and the chemicals that I breathed in because it was my lungs. I was having a hard time breathing. I had a high fever and they did a CAT scan, and I'll never forget this intern coming to me in the hallway. I was by myself, and she said, uh, well, uh, we found a mass in your lung, and with the shape and the size of it, um, it's absolutely cancer, and with your uh, lifestyle, there's nothing we can do for you, so you need to just go home and get your affairs in order. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Excuse my language. What the fuck? You know, I mean, it's like gonna, when was I it was, getting, was it Akron General? No, it was actually Akron City. Um, oh, but God. when I uh, when I was cooking and giving myself a death sentence, that was one thing. But when you looked at me and told me that I was going to die, oh hell no! Yeah, now I'm gonna fight, yeah. and I did. I fought like hell and it turned out I did have stage three C lung cancer and it was in 32 of my lymph nodes and uh, I was getting ready to go through hell. So did that solidify the fact that I was going to stay clean and sober? Absolutely. Yeah. And um, I found a doctor and this doctor changed my entire life. He, I'd never met him before. I'd never seen him a day in my life and I didn't have any insurance. I was a hot mess just out of prison and he said, you are too young to die. I'm going to put together a team, a surgeon, a oncologist, radiation oncologist, and we're going to keep you alive. He said, but you're going to go get an education and teach people everything you know about addiction. 
And I'm like, how the hell am I supposed to do that? You're telling me I've got to go through all these surgeries and chemo and I'm going to be sick. And he's like, figure it out. He's like, you're, you're smart. You did that for 10 years without getting caught. And um, I started doing college online while I was going through all this. And I swear to God, that's what kept me alive. Because, you know, a lot of people with cancer, they just sit there and they wait to die. And I wasn't waiting to die. I, I My mind was working. I was going to school and it gave me something to do. And, you know, they say that when you kill brain cells, you don't get them back. I truly believe with all I am that your brain is a muscle. And the more you use it, the stronger it gets. So before I knew it, a year had gone by and I was still alive. And I got my associates, you know, pretty soon I got my associates degree and I was like, damn, you know, and then seven days after that, I was in school getting a bachelor's in psychology. Um, and then I was in school getting a master's in psychology, specializing in criminology because I thought, wow, you know, if there's one thing I know how to do, it's break the law and go to court. <laughs> so yeah. I'm going to go to school and I'm going to and I I was minoring in addiction because I wanted to go to drug court. I really wanted to educate the court system on addiction and how we could help people and not hinder them. And uh, that's what I did. I ended up the same cop who busted me is the one who took me to drug court for the first time and got that that fire ignited. I um, ended up getting my first job and they just kind of let me take off and do what I was doing, going to drug court. And uh, I, you know, just hopped around for a while, you know, hopped around jobs to figure out where I belonged. I, you know, I was at a residential place and then I went to an outpatient uh, place in Lorraine County. Then I popped over to a rehab resort in Sharonsville where I got to do group on a boat. It was great, but it was, cool. uh, it was very cool, but it was too far. Then I ended up at a suboxone clinic in a methadone clinic and, you know, learning about all the different paths to recovery. I wanted an education, you know, I ended up going back to school and I got a second master's in addiction counseling. So I went to having a bunch of prison numbers behind my name. I was, you know, known as, you know, Lisa Parsons, it was Lisa Parsons, you know, inmate number 42402 to Lisa Parsons, LICDC, ICADC, ADC, MAMS. You know, I got all these letters behind my name. I don't know what half of them freaking mean, um, but I did it, you know. Uh, and today I get to walk into a place that's just so focused on just true recovery and I get to, they say that in order to keep it, you got to give it away. And every day I get to give that away and watch people evolve. And it's the greatest, and it's the greatest feeling in the world. No, I, 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 I agree with you a hundred percent. Being able to give back will keep you sober. And it is the greatest gift. Uh, you don't do it for the money. I don't obviously do any of this for the money because there's no money in this whatsoever. <laughs> Uh, but it's, I enjoy, uh, even the phone calls I get out on the road, I enjoy talking to people and listen, being that ear, that shoulder for them to lean on, being able to coach them through issues. Um, and you know, I, my hat's off to you. I have to commend you because you are the embodiment of what this whole show has been built on you for all intents and purposes, you, well, for not all intents and purposes, it happened. You, you went to, you go to prison and you lost your husband within the same couple months while you're in prison, you made the 
choice that you were just done. You come home, you put your head down you and you just blow up life, you know, but you're diagnosed with cancer when you come home. And I, I love talking to people who have just, just drudged through the waters, you know, drudged through the mud, came out clean on the other side, because people have to understand there's, if anything worth having on the bat, my daddy used to say anything worth having, you got to work for. And it, you have to put your head down and put in the work to get out. There's no, you didn't just appear in the light on the, at the other end of the, the tunnel. You didn't just appear on top of that mountain. Like you have, there have been tears, there's been blood, there's been sweat and you have fought your ass off to get there. And I love being able to talk to people like you, like you, you are the, you're just such a light to everybody that you come across. You have such a great story and that's that's why I wanted to do the podcast was to get people's stories like that out there. You're an amazing person. You're doing no, amazing things. I had a sponsor, you know, and I was trying to make sense of all of it. I was like, you know, here I lived this life with my husband and all of this stuff happened. And then before, you know, he could even see anything that I'd become, you know, he was gone. And she said to me and it it hit me like somebody punched me square in the face. She said, you know. Sometimes people have to die in order for you to live. Yeah. And I was like, holy shit. And um, man, it was like his last, you know, the last thing he did for me, you know. Um, and my whole life has changed. You know, do I, I can't even imagine myself being that person anymore. And, you know, today, you know, I have a great relationship with my family. And I, uh I got married five years ago. I met a man who's he's sober too. And he's amazing. My whole life is different. I have this grandson who is like the light of my life. He keeps me young. And if I died today, I've done everything I set out to do. Truly. Yeah. I wake up happy. I go to sleep. Uh, peaceful, you know, um, I've never been content like this, that I have everything in my life is just so freaking wonderful. And, and I've worked for it. Now I get to sit back and enjoy it, but I've just never been this, I guess the best word is undisturbed, you know? Um, yeah. Content. Content. Every, everything is just good. I'm yeah. grateful. And that, I think that's the main word is I am so grateful and, you know, I'm spiritual as hell. You know, I live out here on two and a half acres in Portage County, you know, right off West Branch, you know, uh, all it is is trees and wildlife. And I sit out here in the summer on my patio and hear the birds. And, and I do what I call hold church by yeah. myself. And spirituality is anything that moves you to the point of positive change. And uh, that's what I do. I've taken a little bit of everything that I've gotten in every walk of life with recovery and I've put, and I've made it to where it works for me. I've got 15 years of uninterrupted sobriety. Um, I do what I, I get to, I get to do the greatest job in the world, what I love to do every day. And um, I've had some great people give me the platform to be able to do that. And um, my life doesn't suck at all. You know, um, I have great relationships, friendships, um, you know, I've learned that in order to have true friends, you got to learn how to be one. I've learned how to do that. Um, my whole life has changed, you know. Um, 
and the best thing I get is those phone calls, you know, Hey, I got, you know, a year clean. Yeah. That is the greatest phone call in the world. You know, I, I have the greatest job. I get to see people evolve. Not everybody does. And that's okay. You know, not everybody's ready. I'm, I'm here to plant seeds, you know, when you're ready. Hey, it, it took Thomas Edison a thousand pills <laughs> before he got the light bulb, right? So, <laughs> you know, and some people just aren't. And, you know, again, that's where that sometimes people have to die in order for you to live comes into play, you yeah. know. But as long as I'm breathing and able to help somebody, this is exactly what I'll continue to do. No, it's uh, it's it's such a beautiful thing to get to at the point where your past isn't haunting you. Where there's there's a guy I listen to. His name's Elliot Hulse. He's a bodybuilder, big workout guy, but he's a phenomenal speaker. If you ever have a chance to, if you ever have ten minutes, just look him up on YouTube and listen to a few of his. They're pretty short, but he did this episode and he said, he said once you, he said everybody has a darkness. There's no there's no day without night. There's no shadow without light. And he said the the beautiful part of learning to accept your darkness and walk with your darkness is that shame can't hide in the light. So, and you made a comment, you know, you can go to head and rest your head on a pillow at night and fall right asleep. You know, you there's, it's uninterrupted. It's you, you get these phone calls where people know who you are. You wear your felonies like a badge of honor and you should but it's not in the darkness. You're not ashamed of it. And you're using it as a light to inspire and motivate other people. And that's such a game changer. It's, it's a beautiful and it's such a strong, like just statement to be able to say, Hey, this is who the fuck I am. And this is what I'm doing with my life. And I don't care if you like who I was, that's not me anymore. That person's back there. Now I wear it and I'm proud of it and I'm doing what I'm doing and it doesn't matter. There's, there's boundaries. There's, it's just so empowering to be that person. And that's where, that's where I love bringing people on like yourself. You know, it's, it's about people who've had backgrounds and people who have made the strides to get where they are and people that are helping and inspiring other people. Um, And it's just such a great feeling to be able to do what you're doing, to do what I'm doing. You know, I, my wife gets mad at me every night because my head hits that pillow and I'm out. She'll lay there and she'll she'll watch TV for hours before she falls asleep. My wife's by the book. My wife never did anything. No criminal record has never done drugs has never like has a master's degree. It'll take her two hours to fall asleep. I just have no worries. You know, I'm just, and and I've worn myself out. I've worn my brain out all day. Um, So I'm done. But, you know, I also, it's when I walk into work every day and I open my office door and I see all those, those uh, degrees. And I was like, damn, that's mine. And you people to be here. You know, that's (laughs) like when I was, uh, (laughs) I was an executive director at one time. I was like, damn, they trust me to run this freaking place. But, you know, I, my caseload at that point was counselors. Um, I did it. You know, I've reached the top. Now, I just want to, I just want to be a counselor and work with clients. Yeah. You know, I just want to work with people and I love it, you know, and I love when they come up to my door. Can I talk to you or Miss Lisa? I need to talk. You know, I love, I love what I do now. I got away from a lot of the medically assisted treatment. I'm just working in pure uh, abstinence-based recovery. Um God, I, I love it. And I love that the people that I work for are just such 
good people. Kaylee and Josh Hoskins are amazing people uh, with hearts of gold who just give everybody a chance. And I mean, they do. The team that I work with, I trust them 100% that we have each other's backs. There's no drama. I really like to go to work. I really do. I, it, it's a crazy thing. It's not a job for me anymore. It is a lifestyle and it's a lifestyle I embrace. Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk real quick. Cause I am pushing on your hour and I, I always try to be very respectful of people's my guest time. What? So you're currently at sky point recovery in Akron, right? So yes. tell for anybody listening that may be struggling or maybe looking for somewhere to get some, and this is strictly IOP treatment, right? It's no, it's we not- have uh, it's PHP, uh, which is partial hospitalization, urine group, uh, three hours a day, every day. Um, there's a house. Oh, so this is a it's an inpatient facility. It well, it's not inpatient. It's a PHP with sober living element. We have okay. uh, we're partnered up with people who have houses, and then okay. uh, they could be there for up to. Th- it's like three, four months, and then they could go into an IOP where you can work. Um, the life skills part is there. So, I mean, they've uh, the patients have a place to go. It's men right now. Um, we are uh, They are talking about adding a female facility at some point later on next year. Uh, and they're adding every day. It's a company that is growing every single day. You walk in, and there's new offices being put in everywhere. Um it's amazing. I mean, the feeling there, it's amazing. Um, you call, I'm, did you put the phone number up for SkyPoint? Um, I'm link? going to. Yeah. Uh, I, so for anybody that's interested real quick, I, not to cut you off, uh, we build monsters.org. You can hop over to the, it's called the plug section. I will be putting SkyPoint recovery with Lisa's contact information in there. Uh, so anybody that is struggling, uh, that's my two cents. I'm sorry to cut you yeah. off, but yeah. no, I mean, absolutely call. And they've got people who answer the phone 24 hours a day and we'll get you help. And if we can't help you, we'll find somebody who can, you know, we're connected with detoxes and with higher levels of care and lower levels of care. Uh, we've got a lot of community partners and we work with the, the, the courts. I mean, we work with uh, mental health and if you are on, you know, Suboxone, they will uh, take people with Suboxone, nobody, not methadone, you know, right now, uh, but uh and we have mental health there's also mental health uh help there as well so we're covering everything you know there's a nurse practitioner a psych nurse practitioner nursing you have mental health uh, counselors i'm sorry um clinical substance abuse clinical people case management peer supporters they've covered every every aspect to help people 100 percent that's so awesome. I, you know, that's one of my main goals down not to have a, I, I, I initially, I'm not even going to get into it. You'll see, stay tuned. I got some stuff coming up for, uh, but it's, it's more focused on guys coming home with felonies, giving them places to live, so on and so forth. So you guys, uh, what's your, is there a, is there a pretty big wait list for like to get nope. in there at this point? No. Okay. No, I mean, I wish growing, I, you know, if there's, I wish people, I would have talked to you get, a little sooner than this. You know, okay. and that's what I love about them. If there becomes more of a need, they'll build it. And it's not pertinent to just Akron, Summit County residents. It's no, anybody. we're getting people from Columbus, Toledo. Okay. Uh, we take Medicaid, primarily Medicaid. Okay. And they'll ha- awesome. and they also help with the Medicaid and help you get food stamps, help you get your Social Security, help you get IDs, birth certificates, every- clothing, everything. Yeah. 
That's awesome. No, I, I, you and I are going to stay in touch because I think I, I really wish I would have had your contact info a few months back. I had a good friend of mine that was looking for her husband somewhere to go and everywhere she was running into it was, we don't have beds. We don't have beds. And I, it's that's that. And that's another big issue right now. You get into a lot of these situations and they're funny with insurance and that's a whole nother issue for yeah. a whole nother time. But <laughs> well, Lisa, I, I am going to go ahead and wrap this. It's we've been about an hour. I, again, I want to thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for coming on here. I, I think what you're doing is amazing. You were, it was funny because as soon as I did the episode with, uh, Tori, as we were wrapping up, she was immediately like, Oh, I'm gonna, I'm calling Lisa. Lisa's going to do the show. I'm so I'm, I'm very thankful that you and I were able to link up. I know yeah. it took a little bit of time to get you on here, but Hey, that's that damn okay. COVID man, that COVID. I, <laughs> Every everything great comes in due time. So there you go. And, uh, you know, and if people want, if they can't get, a, if they don't find Skypoint, if they want to friend me, I will put them right in contact with the people at Skypoint they need to get in touch with. Do you want to? It's up to you. Do you want to put? Your, do you want to tell everybody what your uh, Facebook is? Because I know it is different to your name. You don't have to. I'm just saying. You said yeah. It's you. actually under Lisa King Admire A D M I R E E. Um, you could find me on there. Um, even if you put in Parsons, it's going to pop up because. Oh, okay. Um, but you could find me there. A lot of people know me. If you need help, just reach out. I got you. That's so awesome. Why well, I, I love what you're doing. Keep doing it. I. I'll, I'll continue to check in with you and keep up with you on Facebook and we'll go from there. And yeah, like I said, I wish I'd had talked to you a month or two ago. Cause I, I could have used your help. Anytime. Um, you'll be my go-to from now on. You're my, you're my, my numero uno. So there you go. Thank, um, you, well, so thank much. you, Lisa. Uh, I really appreciate it. It was great having you on. This was a really good show. I, I think you have a great story and I encourage you to keep telling it, man. Tell it to anybody that'll listen, scream it from the rooftop. So uh, I love you guys. Lisa, thank you very much. Guys, we'll check you on the flip side.